Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday, July the 13th in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And what we have been doing on Wednesday is taking a look at the book of Proverbs. Proverbs written by Solomon, most of it, although there are some parts of it that he did not write, but simply does have some great inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Proverbs is not the only place where we learn about what is the most important two paths to understand about God. Yes, there are two paths to think about God. The one path is the broad path, which many people are on. Those are unbelievers. And the other path is the path of wisdom none other than Jesus Christ. Now, Proverbs is not the only book that talks about proper behavior from God's point of view. Uh, Last week, while it was the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, we read the following from Leviticus chapter 19. It says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. Why? You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now, we remember that really did happen with Ruth and Naomi when they returned to Israel, that that's what they did in Boaz's field, that they were able to gather fruit. And that's how he noticed Ruth, married her, and the line continued through David all the way to Jesus Christ. But Leviticus 19, verses 9 to 18, has a number of things that God desires us to do. And when you categorize them into theological concerns, we're not talking about the first use of the law. We're not talking even about the second use of the law. We're talking about the third use of the law. And what is the third use of the law? It's information from God on how you are to behave when you know God, when you are a believer, when you are on the narrow path. So it continues, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not die to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him, you shall do no injustice in court, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, the other lesson that we looked at on that particular Sunday was what is often referred to as the Good Samaritan. It really is a point that many people miss because they would say, well, the 
purpose why Jesus said the Good Samaritan is that we were to love our neighbor. But you see, when the lawyer tries to trick Jesus, he is quite aware that we are to love our neighbor. He says, in answer to Jesus' question, what is your, what is your reading of the law? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, that answer was correct, according to Jesus, but the meaning of that answer was lost on the lawyer, because then Jesus told the incident, made up a story of a Samaritan who helped out a Jew which of course the Jewish lawyer would not want to hear because he hated Samaritans. In other words, Jesus said, you're correct that you should love your neighbor, but you really have a wrong view of your neighbor. So what really is important are the intentions of a person when they obey the law. Now, the other word for intention would be motivation. You can be doing a lot of outwardly good works, but they're not considered proper good works in the eyes of God because your motivation may be to make you look better in the eyes of people, to make you feel better, all kinds of I type of things rather than Jesus type of things. And so we're going to be taking a look at Proverbs chapter 9, 13 to 18. Now, the portion of the Bible just before that is about wisdom. In fact, Proverbs speaks in a sense about two women. The one is called wisdom, and that is Jesus. Now, why are the feminine pronouns used when talking about Jesus? Not because Jesus is feminine, but that the word wisdom is a feminine word in the Hebrew. That happens in some languages where nouns can be masculine, feminine, or neuter. So when they talk about Jesus as wisdom, she is a woman in a sense, but she tells what is truly the mind of God. Now, after the section on wisdom and the path to follow in order to obey wisdom, we now get into Proverbs chapter 9, verse 13, and we meet the other woman. The woman, folly, is loud. Now, in the book of Proverbs, wisdom and folly are opposites. Wisdom are those who believe in Jesus Christ, who are saved, who have faith in the gospel. Folly are those who reject the Bible, reject the promises of the gospel. They decide what is moral in their own minds. And therefore, much of the book of Proverbs shows that the path that they are following is a path that will lead to death. 
So in contrast to wisdom, who is quiet in sharing the message of the gospel, and we find that when Elijah's on the mountain and there's a big storm, there's a lot of wind, there's an earthquake, but God is in none of those. He's in a still, small voice. And that's the message of the gospel. It does not have to be loud. But the woman who is folly, in other words, foolishness, is personified as being loud. Why is she loud? Because she wants everyone to follow her. Now, previous chapters in Proverbs talked about this woman. For example, she was a woman who was on the streets selling herself. And the way that she got men to come into her house, she would say, well, any money you give me, I will pay towards sacrifices. And the men got thinking, well, that's a good deal, that this must be correct in God's eyes because she's going to use the money for sacrifices. No, she was being seductive, as the latter part of the verse says. She is seductive, and therefore she's working on gullible individuals, and she knows nothing. Now, of course, who is this woman of folly? If wisdom is Jesus Christ, we can say that the woman of folly is none other than the devil himself. Was he ever seductively leading Adam and Eve away from God? You see, put yourself in Adam and Eve's position. They heard from God that if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Then they hear from Satan in the form of a serpent. No, you will not die. You will become like God. Wow. Which one would you want to choose? Obviously, you want to choose to become like God. And so they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Both of them realized that they were naked and tried to hide from God. That's how they died. They died a spiritual death, separated from God because of their sin. Due to this woman folly, namely Satan and his cohorts. Now, it's very interesting at the end of verse 13, it says, she knows nothing. Another way of translating that, does not know anything. So what does that mean? Because it certainly appears that the devil knows things, but you have to understand that in the Bible, the word know is often used as a parallel to believe. If you know God, then you believe in the true God, the Holy Trinity, the Son, who died on the cross, rose from the dead, paid for your sins. That's knowing something. 
If you don't know that, you know nothing because nothing else counts. And that's what we're involved with in our country today with many people living sinful, unrepentant lives because they think that's more important than what God has to say. They don't know anything about God. So now we have a little description of this woman folly who is seductive. Verse 14, she sits at the door of her house, at the doorway of her house, and she takes a seat on the highest places of the town. Now, who is this? Who's taking a seat on the highest places of the town? If you take a look at other passages, even in Proverbs, the highest places of the town are reserved for the seating of the king. Yet here is this woman folly sitting on the highest place of the town. In other words, Satan disguises himself as the angel of light. And this is found also in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. The ESV reads, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. The King James reads, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And the NASB, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Now, what does that mean in the world today? To be an angel of light would be something that you really want to follow because we like following angels. And if they bring light into our condition, maybe we're comforted by it. That's why people are living unrepentant lives today, because they enjoy it and they consider it to be part of light. It is the devil who disguises himself as an angel of light, and yet many people following him. So verse 15, what does she do? Calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Now that's really talking about going straight on their path. It's a path that's separated from the triune God. It's their own path. Remember the center of sin? S-I-N. The center of pride. P-R-I. D-E, that I becomes more important than Jesus. I decide what I believe is moral. I don't have to listen to God. And, and this was even a problem at the time of the Reformation, where individuals believe that once you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, 
the Holy Spirit would tell you by your emotions or your feelings what was proper behavior. And of course, a lot of that proper behavior was unrepentant sin. Why do people listen to the devil? All you have to do is ask the, answer the question in this way. Why did Adam and Eve listen to the devil? Why did David listen to the devil in regard to Bathsheba? Why did the disciples at times listen to the devil? Because it was more enjoyable to listen to the devil than it was to Jesus. Especially when the message of Jesus was, well, I'm going to Jerusalem and I will die there. Remember Peter, no you won't, Lord, we'll protect you. Get thee behind me, Satan. You see, every time you sin, you are falling into Satan's trap of being seductive. You are breaking the first commandment. You are setting yourself up as God. And so this woman is calling to those who are passing by her doorway, who are going straight on their path that they think is enjoyment and fun when no, it's not. Verse 16, here's what she says. Whoever is simple or gullible, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she also says. Now, what's interesting is that's the same Hebrew that you find in chapter 9, verse 4, but in connection with wisdom. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. What is wisdom talking about? Turn in here to hear the word of God. Wisdom is inviting you to be involved in a church activity in listening to the word of God. Very, very important. And wisdom also speaks to those who lack sense. They're just like the woman folly. They're seductive and they know nothing because when you do not have faith, you know nothing about the true God. Take a look at every other religion in the world outside of Christianity. The gods that they invent are nowhere near the true God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is no other gods that they worship that died on the cross for your sins who declare you righteous through believing in the promises of those gods. In fact, in many of them, there's no guarantee at all that you're going to be saved. Read throughout the Quran and you will not find a promise that guarantees salvation. In contrast to Christianity, where you had the promises, he that believes and is baptized, shall be saved. 
That's what Peter says at the Pentecost sermon. Be baptized, which is something that happens to you. It's not something you do. And the Holy Spirit will give you two gifts. He'll give you, first of all, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And second of all, he will give you the gift of the forgiveness of sins. Those are promises that come to those who are baptized and who do not fall away from their baptismal covenant. So what does this woman folly, what is she so loud about? She says, turn in here, be with me. Because verse 17, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. What what is she talking about? Well, when you want to know what a passage means in the scripture, you use scripture interprets scripture. And when you turn to Isaiah uh, chapter 5, 15 to 19, guess what? Water is really connected to the holy estate of marriage. In other words, stolen water is not from the holy estate of marriage. It's water that you are stealing and you think is sweet. We pastors have counseled a number of people who have been caught in fornication, or adultery. I can't think of one of them who did not think it was sweet water when they were doing it. Now, as they came to understand that wisdom was against it, then they repented of that sin, and no longer was it something sweet that they wanted to follow. The same with bread eaten in secret is pleasant. This also would be food eaten in secret. I mean, how many husbands tell their wives when they go and visit a woman of the streets? No, they do it in secret because it is pleasant. I was watching a made-up movie, and there was a man who had been murdered. And his wife was thought to be the murderer. So the police went to see the wife, and the policeman said, we think you murdered your husband. She said, no, I would never do anything like that to him. And then the police reminded her that she had been cheating on him with another man. And she looked at the policeman, and you know what she said? Well, cheating isn't as bad as murder. And I'm listening to that, and I'm shaking my head. She had never heard the Sermon on the Mount, where even the thought of adultery was as bad as the actual act because 
we sin by thought, word, and deed. And therefore, we may do it in secret. May we at times think it is sweet, but it is really part of the woman folly that we are following. Then you get the last verse, 18. Such a man who goes after other women, he does not know that the dead are there in her house, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. That's not just a teaching of the Old Testament and Proverbs. It's also a teaching of Jesus as he speaks through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 and following. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So the book of Proverbs is a wonderful summary of what is found in the rest of the Bible concerning the difference between following wisdom or following folly. Paul says this in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's law and gospel. So, know the difference between folly and wisdom. And in future radio broadcasts, we'll show how that really makes a difference in the life of individuals. I'm Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.